Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello there, I'm John Hindhoff and this is a special show for Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2020, part of the Radio Show Limited network of audio and video channels. And uh, in the next, well, frankly, however long it takes us, we are going to be looking at the entries in the two pro categories at the 2020 Le Mans 24 hours, running, of course, in the middle of September rather than the middle of June. Shea Adam and Johnny Palmer will be with me. A little bit of a different uh, way of looking at things this year because of the fact that we have so few prototypes in the top class and we'll come to those in a moment after we've looked at the GTE Pro runners. First of all, welcome Shea, welcome Johnny. I uh, hope you are fitting well. Shea, you ready for this and ready for Le Mans? Oh, so ready. We may have only half the cars in the GTE E pro category, no Corvettes, no American Porsches, uh, down those beautiful Fords. But, oh, my goodness, we have quality in the numbers that we do have. And it's a similar story in uh, LMP1 with the hybrids and the non-hybrid cars. Uh, a small field, uh, which doesn't necessarily make our job that much easier, trying to decipher what's going on, at least certainly not behind the Toyotas, Johnny. Yeah, I, I think in the past we've had bigger LMP1 fields, but still pretty obvious winners. What I'm accepting during that really good period of LMP1 was when we had the Audis, the Porsches and the Toyotas all mm. up against each other and with different ways to find a solution from some very cleverly written regulations. I still think the regulations could be written that cleverly in the future, but we need more entries and we need, you know, uh, uh, perhaps this global formula as well, which is just around the corner. We're not quite sure when that's going to start at Le Mans because COVID-19 has had its way and we're somewhat behind now in the schedule. But this is a period of the World Endurance Championship that we've got to sort of savour because the Toyota TSO 50, you know, is coming to the end of its life. And this may be the, the last time we get to see a, a true out and out LMP1 um, albeit sadly without a crowd, but you know, will we have this next year? Mm. Probably yes, but then on into 2022, it's very difficult to sketch how the how the whole field will look. Yeah, and, that, and that's a good point. The ACO are slated to make an announcement uh, over the Le Mans week, which is a little bit different this week. We'll be on the air for midweek motorsport at our normal time on the Wednesday of Le Mans week because there's no track action on Wednesday. The main field will be being scrutinized at the track, not down in the town, on Wednesday throughout the day and the support series on Wednesday and into a bit of Thursday as well, actually. So it's track action from 9 o'clock French time on Thursday for FP1, free practice one, then a break for lunch, and then a restart at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, all of the sessions where the Le Mans 24 cars are on the track will be covered live uh, without break or block on RS1 as part of our commitment at Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2020. And as we're, uh, as it stands at the moment, there's uh, no other broadcaster who will be able to give you that undertaking because the first free practice session isn't being covered by any of the TV channels at all. Uh, in fact, there isn't even any TV production uh, for that, either in or out of the track. Uh, but we'll bring it to you because that's the sort of people we are. We don't like doing half a job, as it were. So let's have a look at these two pro fields then. We'll start with the big bangers, the ultimate iteration of GT racing uh, in certainly in Europe, you could argue about uh, GT 500 as part, as part of Japanese Super GT. You might even say that although it's called touring car, DTM really could quite easily be an endurance racing series. But they're slightly more prototype based in their underpinnings 
than the GTE Pros at Le Mans. Uh, there are eight of them from Ferrari, from Porsche and from Aston Martin. Ferrari have the most entries, but only just. There's five of those against the four split between the other Hang on a minute, that can't be right. That must be four and four then. Can't count, kind of. So four Ferraris. No, I've just realised they've got that wrong on the entry list. One, two, three, four. No, I'm right the first time. It is four Ferraris. My eyes are playing up against uh, the, t the four from the other manufacturers. So half the field from Ferrari. Uh, AF Corsa, of course, are... The have to be there, otherwise it wouldn't be an official Le Mans. Their two entries are 51 and 71. 51 getting in on the basis of it being a full-season WEC entry for Alessandro Perghidi and James Collado. And Daniel Serra in that car as well. Johnny Palmer, your thoughts about the 51 Ferrari? Yeah, the, this car, um, very, very strong. And um, it, it will depend on how clever the ACO have been, how exact they have been in terms of matching the performance of the Ferrari, the Porsche and the Aston Martin. So much is dependent on things like weight and, and turbo boost these days in the Alfa, in the uh, AF Corsa Ferrari, which is twin turbocharged in the hot V with the 3.9 litre engine. James Collado, Alessandro Pierguidi, Daniel Serra, very strong as well. Serra uh, had a little bit of um, ELMS action recently as well. So, he is well used to uh, the ACO rules racing once more. Um, but it's Pierre Guidi and Collado who are the regular WEC entries, yeah. although Sarah joined them last year. He was also part of the 24 hours in the 71 for uh, 2017 and 2018. It looks like actually they took a win in 2017 as well. He was part of that lineup. So um, experience up and down the order. Amato Ferrari's team are the team to be preparing your Ferrari without a, a doubt. They were established almost 10 years ago in 2002 and have um, taken part at Le Mans on 13 previous occasions. So it's tough to say that, you know, Ferrari won't have a good year, but it really is dependent on how good those Porsches and the Aston Martins are. Uh, and we shouldn't forget as well, for those perhaps who don't follow along, other than maybe Le Mans or one or two of the other big races, Daniel Serra effectively won the shootout to replace Jimmy Bruni uh, a couple of three seasons ago when Jimmy um, went over to the other side, went over to Porsche. And I still have I still have mental struggles with uh, Jimmy in, in a Porsche because he was, uh, for me, almost inextricably to that point linked uh, with Ferrari. So Daniel uh, may not have been the fancy driver and there was plenty of people who they could have pulled into that squad but Daniel was the one at the test and whilst it wasn't a quote-unquote shootout Daniel apparently impressed enough at the the test to get the nod over some of the big names who were were in for that Davide Regon, Miguel Molina and Sam Bird are paired up in the 71 car Shea Adam your thoughts on the AF Corsa 71 so 51 and 71 they're two uh, traditional numbers well, last year it was the 51 that took home the win in the GTE Pro category. You never want to be the team car to the guys <laughs> that won because then all year you're reminded, hey, your team won them all, right? Yeah, but it was the other side of the garage. So they're going to come out swinging super feisty three guys. Sam Bird, second in 2015, remains his best finish. And the race has been a little bit cruel to him in the recent years. There have been a couple mechanical issues on Sam's cars over the course of several classes, it should be said. It's been a, a tough season so far in the WEC. They've come home second once. That was at Bahrain. Every other race has been a fifth or a sixth place finish, though. So the 71 is looking for some serious redemption. The other two Ferraris both have US connections here. The 63 is the yeah. WeatherTech racing car. Cooper McNeil, Tony Vlander, and Jeff Seagal as the, in the order I mentioned them, silver, platinum, gold. So they've got the full spread uh, there. This is a pro category, so you, you could have two... Uh, platinum. In fact, you could have three platinum drivers in there, and some of the teams we'll talk about in a moment have. Um, in IMSA competition, uh, we've seen quite a lot of drivers race for WeatherTech Racing. Uh, Cooper has <laughs> settled with Tony, the fast finish driver, and Jeff Seagal in there. Well, you know, he's a gold driver who who punches above his weight. That's that's a decent lineup there. Well, you want to talk about Jeff for a second? This is his fifth trip to Le Mans. In the previous four, he's won. 
He's finished second, he's finished third, and he's finished fifth. So Jeff really, he he gets it. You're going to tell me he's going to be fourth now, aren't you, this year? Uh, I Just for the set. That, but I, I kind of like that, John. I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> Cooper and Tony running together full season. They're very well established. Jeff is a part of the team in that he's still involved with the coaching. He's very much involved with the simulator program based out of Miami, Florida. He works a lot with Balzon. Balzon is part of Cooper's uh, stable of drivers that he has with him, a, a coach, a co-driver. This is a very interesting effort. They were in the AM class and they decided to move up to pro because there were fewer driver, uh, fewer cars mm. in that category. So basically they're going after their odds. If you talk to Cooper, he is completely blunt and honest. He wants to win Le Mans more than any other race on the schedule, period. That is his goal. So to come in here, he looked at it. He thought, well, do I want to have a one in 23 shot or a one in at the time, one in eight shot, mm -hmm. which is what it is. He goes, I'll take the one in eight, even though yeah. it's going to be a harder class. And he has run in the pro category before. He did it back, I think it was 14, with Jerome Blake Mullen. It was the two drivers only in that car. As far as the other team with U.S. connections, Johnny, it's the 82 Risi Competizione car, which gets its entry from uh, being, at least for the early part of this season, part of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. They don't do a full season over there, but the driver lineup is solidly European-based and solidly red, white and blue in the tricolour colours of France. Yeah, it's Dave Beaky Sims. Well, previous team, isn't it? I don't think he's actually it's with Reese no. anymore. No, no. but so uh, that's the name that I always associate uh, with that squad. Um, but yes, uh, under different uh, management these days, I'm trying to remember whether they were present in 2019 as well. The 82 was uh, a BMW, so the 62 no was the WeatherTech car. So I think we were we were sans Reese last year. Sebastian Bourdais is a brilliant signing um, in from, you know, his number of years with Ford and, you know, uh, IndyCar experience as well. So that'll be just, he'll just fit with the Ferrari straight away. I and a Le Mans resident living. as well. I mean, sorry, a Le Mans yes, native, should I say. Yes. Yeah. In another show, we were talking about Julian Canal from Le Mans. And yes, Bourdais, Bourdais is, uh, that's where... Uh, he was originally from. Uh, Reese were there last year, beg your pardon, with Ollie Jarvis, with Pipa Derani, and with Jules Gounon. Well, Gounon stays, the Frenchman, sometimes called Le Monégasque, and uh, Gounon's raced Bentleys in the past, hasn't he, as well? Mm. Uh, but no Bentley in GTE currently, so uh, Ferrari it is with Reese, um, 25 years old. So we've got a platinum, a gold, and then another platinum in the form of Olivier Pla. So there's no shortage at Reese of, of contacts. They've got themselves a very, very strong team there, courtesy of one or two falling out of the GTE category elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, Reese, they were the ones taking the fight to Ford in 2016, weren't they? When they first came back and it was one lone Reese Ferrari yeah. versus, I think, three Ford GTs. And they ended up just falling short I, and second place. But I, but um, they, they could be strong. Um, um, at the moment, Jules Gounon uh, is uh, racing in the IGTC races in GT3 for Bentley in a, a lineup that to me sounds like something I would order from a menu, which is the Gounon, the Pepper Gounon Sule. Uh, I'll have one of those <laughs> with. Uh, with chips, please. Um, I'm very interested in this one, JP, about how Oli Pla will go. We know how quick he is in a prototype, in any prototype. He's done P2. He's jumped into all kinds of cars for various manufacturers, been linked with uh, P2 manufacturers in the past. Um, I, I wonder what he's going to be like in, in the Ferrari. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be a problem somehow um, because... He does have GT experience elsewhere, so it's true. Um, he he is you know long established as you say in prototype racing, but he has raced for Garage Fifty Nine, for instance, in GT racing in the past. He's he's obviously had time at Ford as well, so it'll take some adapting. But I I tend to find you know I remember having a chat with Sam Bird when he first started racing Ferrari, and I said, all right. What's it like then getting in the behind the wheel of a big heavy GT car? And he says, to be honest, mate, you just drive 
to the to the adhesion that the car gives you and to the traction that gives you and racing drivers are that different sort that can just sort of adjust okay i can't quite go as fast into this corner uh, as i can in a prototype because i'm not getting the aerodynamic um downforce but the mechanical grip is there instead okay so let's just adapt to that and within about two laps they've got it yeah uh, and in fairness yeah you're right last four years for ford uh with Billy Johnson and Stefan Mucha as his teammates, fourth, tenth, sixth, and sixth, and his last four appearances. Uh, and I, 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 I kind of think that the mid-engine Ferrari actually probably isn't all that different in terms of the way it handles to uh, the the Ford that he's been used no, to. And the, the Ford Ford a turbocharged car as well, so he's used to mm-hmm. that. It's a little V6, I know, in the GT, but in terms of the the weight balance center of gravity it's probably very similar in the 488 uh, so let's move on to the two porsches 91 and 92 very porsche numbers share both full season wec entries because no corvettes here they decided not to come over because of covid um, and that was a decision made quite some time ago uh, porsche the decision there was to save money uh, that was made very clear to us on midweek motorsport by the head of uh, Porsche uh, Motorsport, GT Motorsport. Everybody had to con- contribute to the uh, the savings when the, the factory was closed down for such a long time and they weren't making road cars, street cars. And the North American team, therefore, uh, was told not to come to Le Mans. But two here, 91 and 92, uh, which are the full season entries in WEC. Jimmy Bruni, uh, Richard Leitz and Fred Makovecki in the 91. Let's have your thoughts on those, first of all, Shea. A, a stat that amazes me every single year that we come back to talking about Le Mans, that Fred McAvecki has not won it before. Yeah. He's been on pole. Uh, it was the GTE AM category, I want to say, back in Aston Martin when he was driving for them. And he's finished second twice. He did in 2012 and then again last year. But for Fred, a French driver, to have not won at Le Mans and to have won such great races as Sebring, Nürburgring, Petit Le Mans, mm. it's sort of a slap in the face to him. <laughs> and, and and I really feel bad every time that I look at the stats and say, okay, he's driving with Leitze and Bruni. That, that's definitely going to, oh, wow, he hasn't won it. Um, for Richard Leitz and Jimmy Bruni, on form this year, they started things off really well with the win at Silverstone in the WEC, had a bad Fuji, had a good Shanghai, finishing second, had a bad Bahrain, had a bad Coda, had a bad Spa. They need something good. And I know it's something we'll talk about over the course of the entire race week on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, but this is a double points race. This counts for a lot. So if they want a a shot at the championship, it's got to be this. The second car is Michael Christensen, Kevin Estra and Lawrence Van Ter, uh, Johnny. Uh, that, that again, 92, that is the full season entry for the WEC. Um, your thoughts about that car and how Porsche have gone in the WEC so far, this uh, what seems to be interminably long long season <laughs> that started way back in, in 2019. Yeah, you've got to have a long memory to uh, remember how Porsche did, for instance, uh, back at uh, Silverstone, which was what August, September, September, twi- first weekend yeah, in sept- September 2019. Yeah. So over a year by second. the time we get to Le Mans, that this is over an actual calendar year by the yeah. time we get to Le Mans, and that's not the end of the WEC season. They started well no. at Silverstone. They did, yeah. I, I won too. You can't ask for much better than that. And uh, yeah, the. Uh, a season that was simply known as season eight rather than a super season as we had mm. with the big fireworks around it the previous year. But it's turned out to be about the same length. Um, after that, well, regularly getting one car on the podium, but the other one has struggled. And as Shea was mentioning, some, some difficult results at, at Fuji when uh, there was a sixth place. There was an eighth place as well for at Kota. So, they haven't had the consistency of Aston Martin. That's the reason why there's this 29-point gap when you combine uh, the the two cars' point-scoring positions for the World Endurance GTE Manufacturer Championship. They did take a win last time out at Spa, though, and, and really Spa proved to be a, a bit of a Porsche circuit because of the success from the German manufacturer the previous weekend in ELMS as well. So it, it's interesting. That can't be down to how the cars are balanced. That's more to do with, well... Difficult weather, perhaps, and also getting involved in skirmishes halfway through the race, just being in the wrong place at the right time. 
almost the results looking back on them smacks of a bit of split strategy mm. where one car can do very well and the other one sort of falls away and you could afford to do that at, at Le Mans but it's a bit of a numbers game already before you've started because you've only got two Porsches yes. in GT Pro whereas there are four Ferraris and Ferrari won't really care which one takes the victory they'd like it to be the A of course but that's not really a factory team anyway and I'm sure if, if the WeatherTech car or Risi took it then Ferrari would Make sure that was lauded in all the headlines in weeks afterwards. And, and as far as the driving talent is, is concerned, the two teams in the 91 and the 92, I mean, we've, we've talked about Bruni Leeds and, and Mac Vecchi, Christensen, Estra and, and Vanto, you can't say that they're a quote-unquote second-class team there, JP. No, no. No, certainly not. Um, Christensen and Estra have, have had the bulk of the, the better results from memory. And, and Lauren Vantor not the regular World Endurance Championship racer, but he, he is obviously a, a Porsche master, uh, having previously regularly raced in the WC and also in the IMSA Sports Car Championship in the States. So it'll be like coming home for, for Laurent Vantor in terms of Porsche GT team. We don't have the US squad uh, on site this year after their relatively early decision in 2020 not to make the trip. However, almost closing that arm of the team down and saying we won't go to Le Mans has made the GT team drivers even stronger. Mm. Uh, and I, I just, I mean, we've got to mention, Shea, Fred's here, Lawrence is here, um, yeah. Nick Tandy is here, albeit not racing for Porsche. He's been released to go and race in a stellar squad in LMP2, but that means Earl Bamber is the only one of the US regular season drivers who isn't here. Yeah, but, you know, Bam Bam got to do NASCAR this year, so I don't think any of his teammates are going to be too sad that he's not at Le Mans. It's kind of fair that way, don't you think? Well, that's true. And uh, listening to Johnny there, uh, talking about the season after, the WEC WEC season after Silverstone, really puts me in mind of what Nick Tandy was saying to us uh, on Midweek Motorsport recently, um, just after he'd been announced for his Le Mans drive. Uh, we'd, we'd caught up with him at, at Silverstone, just uh, in fact, in the week before that became known. But he was talking about the IMSA programme as an A for effort, but a C for results for the Porsche GT North America team, because they have had the pace, but they've had a bit of bad luck, and bad luck has happened to them when they've had a car in a in a winning position. And both Fred uh, and Lawrence have suffered from that this year, and they'll want to put that right. Yeah, and, and isn't it funny the um, to think about the turn of the tide for Porsche? Because they're talking about a bad season. Well, they've gotten three third-place finishes this year for Nick and Fred's car. So it's not as if they've been bringing up the rear of the field. They just haven't been winning races like they did in 2019. It should also be said that the 92 car, they're the defending WEC GTE Pro champions, joined by Lawrence Vantour, who's the defending GTLM champion. So they've got complete coverage of championships as far as that's concerned. But 2020 so far has not gone the Porsche way in the same sense that it did last year, which is why all the drivers are frustrated with the lack of results. Uh, just two bullets in the Porsche gun uh, and similarly armed Aston Martin racing in the GTE Pro category 95 and 97. 95 is the Dane train and it is Nicky Team and Marco Sorensen uh, with uh, added to that uh, the plug and play performance accessory that has become down through the years Richard Westbrook in that car Johnny Aston Martin as you've al- uh, as you've alluded to this uh, have had the consistency in the WEC uh, and putting Richard Westbrook into your Le Mans uh, team is not actually going to slow the car down at all is it <laughs> no certainly not and uh, yeah Marco Sorensen and Nicky team may even have to watch their backs for Bahrain mm. um, heading into the final round no, I'm, I'm kidding because they the two Danes are uh, electric this season it started relatively slowly with just a fifth place at Silverstone but since then three wins and a second place as well so they're top of the, the charts uh, by 19 points over Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra the aforementioned Porsche pilots. Uh, yeah, Richard Westbrook um, previously raced with Corvette, previously raced with Ford GT much more recently and uh, has had experience of virtually everything. I don't think he's ever raced Ferraris. 
Uh, but he was thought of as a Porsche specialist at one stage because of his, right. his, his link to yes, Porsche yeah. Carrera Cup and he Carrera raced Porsche Cup, yeah. GTs as well. I mean, you know, he, 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 he has done a bit of everything. I, I, I'll have to ask Westy. I don't think he has raced for Ferrari or indeed for... Oh, no. I think he has raced for BMW. I think he might have raced for BMW at the Nürburgring. Ooh. He has. And, that... he's, and he's also raced for Corvette. Yes. Yes, of course. Uh, so only Ferrari or set of overalls that he doesn't have. <laughs> um, as I say, that's not going to slow them down at all. Uh, the other guys, Max Martin, uh, Alex Lynn and Harry Tinknell, uh, another driver who is doing his best to race for every manufacturer, sometimes all at the same time and all in the same season. Because at one stage he was, a few years ago, he was contracted to Nissan, but driving for Ford and Mazda because Nissan weren't racing in the P1 category. And, and uh, that was all in the same season. Um, he's still obviously got his commitments in the US year for, uh, for uh, Mazda in the prototype classes. And, and jumping into Aston Martin with Max and, and Alex here in the 97 car. And Harry is going to be very good too. He's another one of those drivers. Uh, we've got four uh, Ford refugees mm. running in GTE uh, Pro this year. Harry uh, joins the team, Max Martin and Alex Lynn. They are always really good and really flashy at Le Mans. They're, they're people that tend to draw our attention. Maxime has not yet gotten the results yet that he wanted, seventh twice. Neither has Alex. He was on pole back in 2017 in the LMP2 class, but his best finish was 12th last year. So they're hoping that Harry, who brings, of course, with him the win back in 2014 in the LMP2 class, that they can help bring a little bit better luck to the team. If you look at, though, consistency, this car wins the award mm. for consistency for the season, only finishing not third once this <laughs> entire year. Although I have to say, if they finish third this year, they're probably not going to be too happy with that either. So uh, oh, they want to get that win for Aston Martin. And who knows? Maybe they can. Tinks is pretty good at bringing some good luck. Yeah, uh, it's not a regularity trial, though. They will be wanting to improve. <laughs> uh, eight cars in the class. Um, if you... All right, we, we're going to talk about LMP uh, in a moment, LMP1 in a moment, which only has six cars. Um, so this class really... When you think of 22 in GTE um, and 24 in LMP2, all uh, of the pole positions, in fact, the front three rows of each category, is going to be decided this year at Le Mans by what's called a hyper pool. Uh, and so there'll be a short 45-minute qualifying session on Thursday. Uh, I've got that right, Thursday? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and then on Friday, there is a session where only those 24 cars that have been the top six in each of their classes will be out on the track at the same time and they'll be effectively running for pole. It's not a single car shootout. You will still have to be wary of traffic uh, if you are in one of the faster or the slower cars. It strikes me, Johnny, that with 24 in P2, 22 in GTE AM, okay, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people there. All top six of, of LMP1 goes through only two people in GTE Pro aren't going to make that. And that's going to be really tough for two very good teams here. That's true. And, yeah, you're talking about very slim margins indeed on the bubble to be sixth or seventh in the initial qualifying mm. session. So that's going to be frantic, you know, for 45 minutes trying to work out who's in, who's not. And it could change, well, virtually with the, the last lap to be competed. Mm. And then you've got to go into half an hour of Ipapol. Mm. Wouldn't it be great to have two Ferraris, two Porsches, two Astons in there? Not sure whether that, that will work out. Well, if the Porsches make it, the Astons make it, then we're guaranteed to have Ferraris mm. in. I just, I, I just wonder looking at, from this distance out whether the Ferraris are going to be the ones to struggle more mm. than the German and the British manufacturers. So that, that's tricky, but that I suppose looking at it, they're guaranteed to get a couple of cars in there. I do think it will completely change the way people go about that qualifying session because you will want the car trimmed out for single lap pace. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of practice after the qualifying session. So it, it'd be in, I, I, I wonder who will want to go for pole position because you're going to have to give up a bit of practice time uh, around that. All right, only eight cars, three manufacturers. Uh, Johnny, do, do Ferrari have the numbers when it comes to the end of the 24? 
and they don't have a works team, although if they did, it would look rather like AF, I'm sure. Um, Porsche and Aston Martin, maybe we could say have the, the resources to throw at it. Who wins? I was encouraged by Ferrari's pace at Spa mid-race when mm. the rain started to come down and all of a sudden both AF Corsa cars came into their own. But then when things dried out and it got slightly easier to negotiate on the track, the Ferraris then seemed to drop away. So I don't... Th- I think it'd be an incredible set of circumstances for them to, to take victory this year. So then you're down to two Aston Martins or two Porsches. Marcus Sorensen and Nicky Team currently lead the World Endurance Championship and Richard Westbrook is very strong. Both Porsches also good pedigree in recent years. But I'm, I'm actually going to go for possibly the lesser favoured Aston Martin, mm. but the one as Shea points out with the more podium results this year. I think they could take a couple of extra steps to the top. Uh, so Alex Lynn, Maxi Martin, Harry Tinknell in Aston number 97 for me. Well, you sort of look like you were leaning to that share, the 97, or will it be the Stuttgart mark or the prancing horse? What do you reckon? I'll, I'll give you um, two answers because my heart and my head are saying two very different things. Mm-hmm. My heart says it'll be Reese. My heart says mm. the entire French driver lineup will come through. Uh, Jules Gunion got his first win this year at the Bathurst 12 hour. I see him backing it up with a Lamar win and Sebastian Bourdais. Who what a party that would be. Ride. What a party that would be on Sunday night. It would be ideal. <laughs> My head is saying the 91 Porsche wins it oh. and gets back into the championship swing of things. Ooh. All right. Very interesting. Um, you can find out by tuning in on Thursday, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And remember, we do have cars on track on Friday this year and we'll cover every moment of the cars out on the circuit, whether it's practice, qualifying or indeed the race live on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Let's move to the top class. Now, normally this is where I say, uh, unless there is, enter something ridiculous happening here, this is where the you know, a large pink pussycat uh, coming in on the 13th hour and flicking them all with a uh, little gesture of its paw. Uh, this is where the race leader, the race winner will come from. However, it's 2020, so I'm not going to say that this year because only six cars, two of which clearly have a massive advantage being works racing Toyotas and the kind of experience and reliability that we've seen those cars have over the years with, of course, a couple of exceptions. Um, it may be where the winning car of the 2020 Le Mans from the 19th and the 20th of September comes from. Let's just do this dead easy in number order. The number one is Rebellion Racing. Its team car is the number three. They are the beautiful Rebellion R13 Gibson Power cars. Swiss entered, of course, JP. And let's be honest, without the works cars, whether it's the works Toyota TSO 50s in its current iteration or any of the works cars behind, if we'd only had Rebellions and... Uh, you know, some of the other private uh, entered cars for the last three or four years. We'd have been happy with that. They're well-engineered cars. They're good-looking cars. And in Bruno Senna, Norman Nato and Gustavo Menezes with Romain Dumas, Nat Berton and Louis Delatraz in the three car, those are six six drivers, two cars, two lineups that are very, very impressive indeed. They certainly are. Uh, the Menezes Nato Senna formula works very well and has done in the World Endurance Championship uh, ever since Silverstone, the opening round. And they know the car the best. This, by the way, is the Gibson powered R13, but mm. it's not the same Gibson engine that's at the, in the middle of the LMP2 cars. It's actually no. a slightly uprated version. I think it's the same block, but they've managed to find that extra performance and reboard to get 4.5 litres now rather than the 4.2 very solid very reliable engine it's kind of how the engine integrates with the rest of the car though that they have had issues it's a non-hybrid car so that takes that complication out of it and it's non-turbocharged as well normally aspirated but they're just there are some races where it's done very well it's one the WEC race one race already this season has taken a number of back-to-back pole positions now as well. But the other thing we've got to factor in is the fact that there's success handicap 
uh, and a, a carefully calculated kind of algorithm that works in the other rounds of the WEC, depending on how well you've done in previous races, you are then penalised in the next race. And Rebellion, having struggled for results initially, then got the better deal later on in wet races and hmm. have then therefore been able to take poor positions. So that's all stripped away. We should make that point for Le Mans because... It's important that Le Mans runs as a race in isolation, although it does carry championship points. So we're kind of back to base settings. The Toyotas will be as quick as they were at Silverstone last autumn. And the Rebellions, although there are two of them, may struggle to keep that pace of the hybrid. And I also worry for their their long-term reliability. Okay. Really interested to see how Louis Delatraz gets on. He's the only rookie of those six drivers you've just mentioned. And you've got chalk and cheese, really, in the number three car. Delatraz, having never raced at Le Mans. Romain Dumas, who's set for his 20th Le Mans in a row. Mm. So there's somebody to go and, uh, you know, have a coffee with and go, Romain, tell me how to race Le Mans. Yeah, and and one, of course, for two different manufacturers uh, mm-hmm. as well, Romain. Um, could it be three this year? Cher, what what's your thoughts on the on the drivers in the two rebellions? The driver lineup is fantastic. I mean, Gustavo Menezes won the race in 2016. Norman Nato hasn't had the good luck at Le Mans. This is his third go at it. He's finished 10th and he was not classified last year. And then Bruno Senna, who again, kind of surprisingly, has never been to the podium at Le Mans. Um, Nat Berton has finished fifth three times before you've got Delatraz in the rookie. And then as we mentioned, Roman Dumas with all of his wins and his eight count them eight trips to the podium in those 19 appearances previously. So they do have the experience there in terms of knowing what to expect in the race. The big question mark is going to be the reliability and whether or not the team can pull it together. That in my quest, in my book is, is the big thing because you're going up against the might of Toyota. Are they ready for that? Mm. Maybe we'll find out. Swan song for the team as well, though, uh, 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 Johnny, because we know that they'll be wrapping things up uh, this year. Um, uh, Rebellion, as they stand at the moment, will not be back for the World Endurance Championship. The, the various sponsorships at, in other places in motor racing, they're keeping the watch manufacturer is keeping its uh, finger in the motor racing pie. But it's it's going to be a very emotional time for everybody at Le Mans this year because they, again, and I'll, I'll say this again, I know I said it not so very long ago, but you know they've had a good run at Le Mans and in other days, the history that has been written might have been very, very different when we'd had a, a more privateer look to the Le Mans 24 hours. Sort of, what, 10 years or so ago? You yeah, mean, when exactly. It was more f- filled with, 15, yeah. I, I, 15 yeah. years maybe, yeah. Yeah, okay. Prior to, well, not necessarily the Audi era, but with Porsche's return and with Toyota coming back as well. Yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah. If they had been racing in a different era, then the results would have been more beneficial, more friendly to them. But I don't think that their loyalty to the championship should go unnoticed. Agreed. They they didn't have that spectacular run in the... um, They have won a, a big race in... Uh, possibly that curtailed 2012 ELMS event, which in the end went to Petit Le Monde, did it? And did Rebellion win that in late 2012? Anyway, they've had big victories through the years, not necessarily with the R13, though, with previous cars, um, with the Lolas of uh, of previous uh, times. So... And ironically, um, of course, with the Toyota engine originally as well there. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, So their longevity will last. If this is their last year, it will be a really sorry time for sports car racing because they've sort of been ever present, whether that be in LMP1 or they had that spell in LMP2 as well, where yes. they got some great results. Yeah. I remember Bruno said it with, with Vaillant rebellion. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I hope we took my, my could point. They get another backer somehow. Could they, yes. could, could they partner with somebody else? Are we going to see that team, but just in a slightly different name somewhere? I, I can't see them staying away forever well i hope they don't because with a bit of luck and we're still sort of speculating but isn't that what we do the best and i suspect we'll be doing plenty of it at haggerty ridge all uh, when even when we've got cars on the track this year and certainly between some of the racing sessions uh, with the whole team wading in on this that we might just be entering another golden age of privateer racing at the top class and and, and i would like to see somebody who has stuck by 
the championship in, in good times and bad for them and for the championship. Like Rebellion, like Bicolors, like Team LNT, who we'll, we'll talk about those two teams in a moment. I would like to see them on a slightly more level playing field if LMDH and Hypercar does come about and allows privateers to either buy a hypercar that's been manufactured by somebody like Toyota or to get into an LMDH and and therefore race under the same set of circumstances. Because let's be honest, and we have to be honest in a show like this, that there's never really been JP, um, I mean, seen it a little bit in WEC, this long season, but there's never really been any parity between the non-hybrid and the hybrid class in LMP1. It has been two different classes, and and that's been a, a really tough pill to swallow for all of the privateers who were running the the non-hybrid cars. Yeah, and no amount of planning could have accounted for the Audi Audi exit and then Porsche a couple of years later, and you're left with two Toyotas that have a very different way of making the explosion in the belly to, to get to, pro- to project the car forward compared to the others that wanted to take the LMP1 mantle up. Mm. So you feel for the ACO, you feel for the FIA who are trying to create some sort of competition in a small field. I mean, this is just about as big as the field has been in the WEC this year. We've had two Genettas in the past. Yes, but we've not necessarily had the two rebellions on the grid at the same time. And the Bicolis hasn't done any WEC racing uh, prior to, to Spa. So six is actually a good number when you look mm. at the other races. Um, but you are trying to, you know, balance hybrid from one era compared to the non uh, the normally aspirated and non-hybrid cars from a completely different model of regulation uh, and create a fight that is interesting to the fans. So that's mm. the reason why success handicap and uh, slowing certain cars down according to their points and their results came in, in, in a way to kind of create a transition season to get us to the new regulations. However, we're not going to be at that point by the end of I this year. So. so no. So there's a big question mark then about 2021. That's a different show and a different topic. It's a, it, it's just a matter of having to work a way of getting some competition mm. out of, out of an area which is very tricky to find. Yeah. Completely, completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Um, the two rebellions and indeed the Bicolis racing team, the number four car, which we'll talk about now, the Enzo CLM P1 or one Gibson, uh, both going for a platinum and two golds, Tom Dillman and Ollie Webb, both the golds with Bruno Spengler as the platinum uh, driver. Slightly different approach for, for Team LNT, which we'll come to uh, in a moment. Share Tom Dillman, Bruno Spengler, Ollie Webb, three very accomplished drivers. And three frustrated drivers because they were supposed to be having a multi-day test at Spa before the race, which was cancelled due to noise complaints from neighbors of the track. So not getting as much track time running as they wanted before coming into the race. Thankfully, both Tom and Oliver have experience with the Baikalis at Le Mans, Um, not really doing them a whole lot of good, to be perfectly honest. Two DNFs in the last two years for the Baikalis and for Tom Dillman. It's his third attempt at the race, and every one of them has been with the team. Ollie Webb was third in the LMP2 class back in 2014, the year that he also took the P2 championship in the ELMS. So very experienced driver pairing, familiar with the car. And then you had Bruno Spengler to the mix. Well, the DTM champ from 2012 platinum rated driver he's factory bmw has been racing in imsa in 2020 and going back and forth to try and do more testing in europe um it's going to be a an uphill struggle for this team for sure as it has been with every single one of the previous Le Mans. they're just looking to finish yeah uh, and uh, interesting point you made that about the the test the noise complaints came at the formula one weekends uh because huh. we had we'd had a couple of sports car weekends which apparently I'm, I'm led to believe had passed off without too much incident in terms of noise. The Formula One weekend then attracted some noise complaints, and I'm 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 going to say I I think that was as a function of not having any fans there. Because one thing that I know oh. that soaks up noise massively is the human body, and and I just wonder if not having fans on the bank sides, particularly running up the Camel Strait. Uh, towards Le Combe and the villages beyond that is where I believe the uh, the uh, complaints came from um, and I, I 
I just wonder if that had had an adverse effect. Uh, but as Shea says, they couldn't go testing. So they've been struggling a little bit. As of Team LNT, JP, uh, on again, off again, on again season for the Yorkshire-based manufacturer and team. I mean, it is effectively a manufacturer team, but you're not really supposed to have a manufacturer team in the non-hybrid class. So that's why it's called Team LNT and not Team Janetta. But both under Lawrence Tomlinson. Um, it would, it's just going to be nice to see that car turn a wheel for Michael Simpson, for Guy Smith and for Chris Dyson. Guy Smith and Chris Dyson reunited after their exploits in the American Le Mans series, um, getting on for, uh, yeah, for, a, I mean, what, over a decade ago now, isn't it? My goodness, I've just realised how long ago that is. Um, I just want to see that car running, JP, and I suppose you do too. It'd be lovely. Yeah, we did see two cars in the opening few rounds. I mean, they were present up until the eight hours of Bahrain, both Team LNT machines. But nothing this year, have we? That was all last year. That's right. So, yeah, beyond round four, uh, we didn't see them at the Lone Star Le Mans, which was round five back in February of this year at the Circuit of the Americas, and they weren't at Spa either. I think the fact that they weren't at Spa is going to be a, a big loss, and I know that they were trying all sorts of things to actually get to Belgium because there's the chance to run your, your Le Mans downforce there as well, because yes. there's lots of high speed sections around Spa and a lot of teams chose to do that to get fully set up for the, the 24 hours. So they're on the back foot. Chris Dyson's not raced that car a great deal. He's only done the eight hours of Bahrain back in the last year um, because he, he was injured in a, in a classic race just prior to the Barcelona prologue last summer, yeah. and that put him out for the first three races. So they had quite a high rotation of, of drivers in the, the, the number, well, the, the entered car is number six. So, yeah, there, there was the five car as well that's had a total of five drivers. To replace, they had Ollie Jarvis in to replace Dyson for the first round, and uh, uh, Charlie Robertson's had a go at that one as well. But, yes, they settled on... Guy Smith, with the Yorkshire connections, of course, to tie in with uh, Janetta. Uh, Mike Simpson, who's been a test and development driver ever since his sort of early days racing Janetta's, actually. And he and Lawrence Tomlinson, who is the LNT, by the way, became very good friends. And now he's a long-term employee. And Chris Dyson, who is eager to get behind the wheel of that car again. They are going to be definitely up against it. One thing that is in their favour is the fact that they changed engines prior to the WEC uh, campaign changed engine manufacturer that is to the the little AER turbocharged V6. So it's sort of the same mentality as the Toyotas actually, minus the hybrid because they've got a little V6 as well, 2.4. Um, but the, the, previously their engine supplier um, it was not particularly reliable, and they they do really find that this AER that's powered the BR engineering cars in the past. Is the kind of constant they they know that that engine can is capable of doing the distance. It's just a question of all the bits around it working correctly. Mm. Yes, there was a rather unseemly um, spat, wasn't there, at various press releases uh, when they they broke up with their former engine manufacturers. Uh, you're listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans. I'm John Hindoff. Shea Adam and Johnny Palmer are with me. Uh, socially distance, of course, as we're looking at the LMP1 entries for the 2020 Le Mans 24 hours taking place in the middle of September this year. Seven and eight are the two Toyota Gazoo racing cars. They are the latest version of the TSO50 hybrids. The TSO50 hasn't changed its nomenclature for quite a long time, even though there has been there have been some uh, changes and, and various different versions of this. I think this is the third generation of TSO50. It might be 3.5 or 4 now. Um, I'll, I'll wait for somebody from Toyota to tell me about that. Mike Conway, <laughs> Kamui Kobayashi and uh, Jose Maria Lopez in the 7. In the 8, Seb Buemi, uh, Kazuki Nakajima and Brendan Hartley. Another one of the Antipodines, another Kiwi uh, in that car. Welcome back to Le Mans for Brendan. Um, I don't mind. Uh, Shea, you take the seven first. Second, second, second. <laughs> Those are the best results for the drivers in the number seven, even though they have been the show-stopping guys to watch for the last two years. 
It's been heartbreak for the seven car. Mike Conway putting in the drive of his life at the beginning of the race last year. Kamui Kobayashi putting in the qualifying of his life mm-hmm. the year before. He has since then gone on to win two Rolexes, by the way. So Kamui does have a little bit of consolation there. But this is the car that you want to cheer for so badly because it's the team car that's gotten the results. But it's this car that has been the one that we enjoy watching because it gives us such excitement in the pit of our stomachs. They've had first, second, third, first, third, first this year. So it's been a much better year for as far as the seven is concerned. Can they go through and finally get that Le Mans win, please? It's been long overdue. Johnny Jose Maria Lopez is, is up this act. There was a lot of uh, raised eyebrows when he came into that car and frankly didn't help his own cause. He was a bit of a crash hit to start with, made mistakes, but he's become far more consistent and nobody can deny the effort and the speed that both Camille and Mike Conway have put in. I mean, that was Mike's race last year. That was his race at Le Mans and... Really, it's surely they've got to have a bit of better luck this year. And, you know, I know Toyota talk about what did and didn't happen. We don't know and we'll never know what did and didn't happen at the end of last year's race. Go back and listen to the archive at radio-show.co.uk. But surely they've got to have a bit of luck this year. I, I would agree that they've got to have a bit of luck. But I also think that look across to number eight and there isn't a certain Spaniard uh, partnering Sebastian Buemi and as Nakajima, so I do think I always thought if you didn't have Fernando Alonso in Team Toyota you would have a more balanced fight between the two cars, they're going to be on completely the same success handicap, i.e. zero, that's not an issue, so we're not going to be at the, the point that's where, point. you know, from round two, three, four, five and six the Toyotas have been at different performance levels. And that's Yeah, that's a good point to make JP actually, because yeah. when we've been talking about the performance um, the success balancing in WEC, it's not per manufacturer, it's per individual chassis. So the seven and the eight have, have been split up, JP, depending on what results they've got. Yeah, because one has always been above the other in the championship. I don't think we've ever had one, the, the two on equal points. That would have been possible, of course. But it, it is mapped then to a to the lowest point scoring uh, car in the championship. Or if it gets too low, if that gap gets too wide, that they sort of generate an, a, an amount of points below the, the championship leader. It's very convoluted. It's great that we don't have to explain that over our coverage during Le Mans week, and we can just focus on a, on a fair fight between the two. And I think it will be a fair fight. It's very tough to call those between, between the seven and the eight and has, who will be faster across the balance of play. I agree with your comments about Jose Maria Lopez. Of course he was a crasher in the earlier days. He was a triple world touring car champion. You have to be elbows out in that phase, in that phase of his career. Fair point. Yeah. And it's taken a bit of just brain recalibration, really. But he's there now. And he's often actually put out as one of the two qualifying drivers. Mm. What we don't also have is, is two driver qualifying for Le Mans. So who's going to be chosen to be sent out during Hyperpole? Kobayashi and, and Nakajima. They will be in it for sure because you put all six cars in there. You don't really need to have conventional qualifying for LMP1. All six cars get a home in Hyperpole. Yeah, and I would say probably Kobayashi in the seven and either Nakajima or Buemi in the eight. I think the two Japanese drivers actually will get the qualifying. I would say Conway Conway and Nakajima. Do you think so? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, we'll find out. On uh, on Friday, uh, lunch, just before lunchtime, uh, French time. All right, so if we accept then, lady and gentlemen, that it's the two Toyotas at the front of the field, unless something bizarre happens at the first time of asking through Dunlop and the first six cars run into each other, all stagger back to the pits and spend two hours getting fixed up and the LMP2 field straight off into the distance, and then we have 23 hours and 50 or minutes, or whatever it is after they've come out the pits of a chase movie. Um, which of the two Toyotas are going to win? Shea Adam, you get to have the tough first pick here. Mm, I want it to be the seven. Right. I want it to be the seven so badly. Uh, and Johnny, are you going to pick the eight, or will you go for the seven as well? I'm going to be. I'm going to. No, I, I don't want it to be the seven. I think it will be the seven. I think mm. just that's the stronger driver lineup for me. I, I have no issue with, with Brendan Hartley, but he is still getting used to the Toyota. And he hasn't. He wasn't at Le Mans last year because Porsche were already gone by that point and he didn't have a drive. So mm. 
Conway, Kobayashi, Jose Maria Lopez are, you know, this well-oiled machine. They are doing so well in the WEC. And, and th there is this thing as, such as karma. And I think mm. the Alonso absence is a massive thing in that. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder whether Toyota, if they are going to favour either car, I think they'll start to favour the seven from this point. Well, it was all about headlines with... Toyota, mm. they wanted them to win the championship. Obviously, they wanted them to win Le Mans. It made sense for them and for the series, to be honest. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that the series or the event were had a hand in that at all, but it made perfect sense. I would say, the only thing I would say about this year is if Toyota aren't one and two, that's a PR disaster for them. If they don't yes. win, it's a massive disaster for them. If they're not one and two and a Ginetta splits them, or a rebellion splits them, um, or even possibly a P2 car splits them. That's a PR disaster for them. So I, I just wonder how conservatively they might run to get both cars to the finish. And if there is any kind of issue for one of the Toyotas early on, whether that will be it, and 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 that we might as well say right, okay, because I I just can't see them having somebody play catch up. Uh, and risk not finishing second. Yes, they can, they can sit in a second, a distant second, but they'll be first and second. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, JP, but I, I think they want first and second uh, again this year. Oh, no, without question. And the, the point is that they can afford to wind the performance back a little bit mm -hmm. because all they need to do is race at 70% and they'll still probably get that result. Now, that assumes they're not going to get tangled up in a GT scrap, for instance, or, you know, a couple of LMP2s doing as they did at, at Spa, Tom Laurent and Fritz van Erd. It'd be very easy to be behind them on the road when that happens. So there's no accounting for the jeopardy that is always included in, in a motor race. But they, they could afford to almost stage manage it by not thrashing the hybrid beyond its capability, as they had to do when they were up against yes, Porsche and Audi. Exactly. It's now about racing rebellion who have questionable reliability, although they do have two cars, so that will go in their favour. Certainly, Bicolis have questionable reliability, and Team LNT just don't have the mileage necessary, having not raced at all this calendar year. So it looks very easy on paper, and I don't think they're going to be pushing like crazy, but, but you know... We've said that so many times before, oh, particularly with ever. Toyota. Well, yes, uh, very true. And you don't, I mean, yes, it looks great on paper. You don't race it on paper. You're racing at Le Mans at the wrong time of the year or a different time of the year, shall we say. I, I shouldn't have said a wrong time of the year, the different time of the year. So they haven't got the kind of data that they would have had from years gone by. I suspect, and we'll, we'll wrap up this year, but I suspect that the longer Rebellion can go into the race without any major issues the better race we're going to have at the front of the field. Now, that sounds like a very obvious thing to say, but at that point, Toyota can't then um, start to stage manage things in the way that JP was mentioning. The longer that Toyota is pushed, the mm. better the race will be, whether it's exactly Rebellion, so. whether it's, uh, who knows, it could be LMP2. It, it could be yeah. teams that are just running strong enough to where if you have an issue and you need to spend 10 minutes in the garage, let alone more than that, you're going to find yourself dropping down the charts. And we could very well wind up having another 2017 Le Mans where it's a chase back for the LMP1 car to try and get ahead of the LMP2s. Uh, that's kind of keeping me interested and excited about the race, to be honest. Well, the thing about Le Mans is whatever we think, it's not over until literally the chequered flag comes out after, as it will be, 2.30, half past two in France, Central European summertime, is when the race starts and therefore finishes on Sunday. A little bit earlier start this year to get a bit more racing in before the darkness falls. Uh, sunset around about eight o'clock Saturday night and quarter to eight official sunrise on Sunday morning. That's, you're talking about 12 hours, half half of the race uh, in darkness. I, I share on our chat here, it's just said it's 2020. A GTE AM car could win overall. Well, strange, strange year in 2020. I'm not sure it's quite that strange, but there will be stories. There will be things that we go, well, we never thought we would say that. Or somebody will write history. 
there'll be a driver that does want to trust Wells Ironman stint and pulls a car back from the brink and drags it to the finish. There will be a fairy tale story or a heartbreak story. You know why? Because it's the 24 hours of Le Mans and you can take nothing for granted, except to say that we'll have every single moment that the cars are on track from Thursday morning French time all the way through till the chequered flag falls on Sunday afternoon. RS1 is Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2020. Hashtag Haggerty RLM, that's Haggerty 1G. My thanks to Tim Gray, our executive producer, to Shea Adam, and to Johnny Palmer. This is John Hindor, hoping that you can join us for all of our coverage of the 2020 24 Hours of Le Mans. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.